An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. 2023 is starting off just like we left 2022. Amanda, we've got a lot of Prince Harry content to discuss. We have not discussed it at all. It is Monday afternoon. The book is not out yet. 60 Minutes aired last night here in the United States. His ITV sit down with Tom Bradby, which was 90 Minutes, aired last night in the United Kingdom. The pages of page, of page six and uh, kind of the Daily Mail, but more on that later, are flooded with advanced scoops from the book. Everyone's got a take. And Amanda, I'd like to hear your take. Give me your overview of your current positioning on the spare <laughs> press tour. Not the book itself, because we haven't read it. Right. But what's happening with Prince Harry and his his promotion of the book Spare. I'm tired. I don't feel good. Do you feel good? Is this how you wanted to start the new year? I watched 60 Minutes today as I made lunch. I made a recipe by my girl, Allie Slagle. Thank you, Ooh, Allie. What was it? What was it? Like It was broccoli with cheese and mustard breadcrumbs. It was very good. Just basically wow. like roast, roasted broccoli, then you sprinkle some cheese on, put it back in the oven for a few minutes. And then meanwhile, while you're roasting the broccoli, you make some stovetop breadcrumbs with a little butter and mustard, and then you sprinkle it all together. It was great. I was just trying to clean out my fridge. That sounds delicious. Thank you. Well, I was preparing that as I watched 60 Minutes. And honestly, I had two thoughts. One, I was re- relieved that Meghan Markle is not part of this right now. Like, I'm just like really relieved. Uh, I hope Meghan's having a nice week. I'm sure she's not, but I hope that she is. And I just could not believe how sad the entire Anderson Cooper conversation was. Like, his current processing of the grief and anger that he felt following his mother's death for, you know, the last 20 plus years, I think it's 25 years now, is so sad. 
and I I just really feel for him. And at the same time, I said this in a group text to some friends earlier. I think his what's the most maddening about this, and perhaps I'm going to assume why you feel tired, is that his stated desire of why he's doing this is illogical at best and disingenuous at worst. And it's just very hard to feel like this unbelievable sadness for him while also just being like, please stop. We're all good. Everyone, everyone gets it. It's been bad. Your family's bad. We get it. You took the adjectives right out of my mouth. Illogical was one of the things that I was going to say, but I'd like to go back to your broader point, which I thought was full of humanity and is, is who I would like to be. And I've been thinking a lot about something our producer Jade said to us after we recorded part two of Harry and Meghan, the Netflix series at the end of last year with Callie Curry, which was really fun, by the way. Just shout out yes. Callie. And Jade and I were in studio together and talking about it afterwards. And Jade was leading with empathy, you know? And she was saying, I feel bad for this guy. And he's been through just some truly horrific, traumatic stuff. Losing his mother at 12 years old. Being, like, hunted by the paparazzi. There's really no other word for it. I mean, they have tormented him and made his life pretty unlivable, I would say. And I... I recognize all of that. I think that's really true. And to some extent, I don't know how you totally get over the loss of your mother in those circumstances at age 12. I think you learn to live with that kind of loss, but I don't, I don't like, I don't know. He was dealt like a very tough hand in a lot of ways. And so I am trying to remember all of that. I think all of that's true. Also, can I add one thing to that? Yes. It doesn't seem like he was given the structures to feel supported and safe or loved after his mother died based on what he's been saying. So I think that also makes it even sadder. Uh, Completely. And just absolutely on his own to deal with all of it. No framework for dealing with it. And it seems like in the last few years has started to deal with some of the anger and the abandonment and, you know, everything that goes with such a terrifying loss at a vulnerable age. So I I really am sympathetic to all that. And I try to remember it as I watch these interviews, but I find the interviews to be so off-putting. And I'm actually kind of surprised by how personally I'm responding to them. And I, you know, the, the teaser clips came out over the weekend and you can kind of read write-ups of all of them. As you mentioned, page six is like really on the beat. And so you can read summaries of everything that he says, even before you see the clips. And certainly for the ITV interview, which I tried my best to watch, but as an American viewer, I even Googled VPN and Reddit torrent, all these sorts of things. (laughs) And they just, they weren't serving me a a late 30 something woman who doesn't really know how to use the internet. So, I read a lot of things before I watched the clips or watched the interviews. And and I thought to myself... I'm glad you bring this up. Yeah. Because I was like, it's important to see his delivery, right? Because the way you read something and the way that something's said, you can lose pathos, you can lose emphasis. It can can be taken out of context. What were you expecting based on what you read before you watched his Anderson Cooper interview? Someone sort of i'm not i'm not really sure i guess because i 
I was expecting something a lot more scandalous and like a lot more like, I don't know, like something that was like something I would want to talk about. And instead, as we both have said, watching him do these interviews was just so depressing. Like this just was like, like not fun at all. It's not like a good scandal. It's just, I was like, oh, the, this is it was sort of like, kind of like proved Harry's point to us. Well, one of his points to a certain extent about his frustration with media narratives, but I, I felt worse after watching the interview than I had after just reading about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I felt irritated and like he lost me a little bit. And to, you know, to some extent, this is, I guess, an exercise in trying to make his case to someone. And so I, I like am really trying to be a good person to lead with empathy like Jade to think about all this. But it, at some point, he's doing all of these interviews and telling this book what and writing this book, I guess, to make money and to sway people to his perspective. And well, I don't know how much. Yeah, go ahead. Can we pause on the making money piece of it? Because I think yes. that's he he denies that like just in general like he okay. right like that he basically basically says in the Anderson Cooper interview that he's doing all of this to get his side of the story out basically he's tried to confront his family members about like how they weaponize the press against him i wasn't say each other but he says against him and so he's doing this to like Correct the narrative. And I, I saw another quote from him today saying like, it's like important for the historical record that he explained. And this is a quote from the book that he explained what really happened between like Kate and Megan with the fight before the wedding. Like I think okay. in his mind, that's, that's so like in his mind, there's like a, there's like a crusade happening here. And I don't right. mean that in the political sense of the crusades in, you know, medieval times. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry. That particular example is preposterous. That's preposterous. It is It is actually not important to the historical record that we clarify who texted who what about the dumb bridesmaids dresses. And that has been revealed over and over in excruciating detail. And to me, the funniest part of the whole thing is like, what we've really taken away is that Claire Wake Keller, who designed Megan's dresses, and I suppose the bridesmaids' dresses, just can't make a dress that fits to save her life. Like, that's the number one thing that we've learned. Well, we definitely already knew that from how Megan dresses. I know, but it's but, really but funny. My- the bridesmaids' dresses just didn't fit either. <laughs> well, apparently in Harry's book, which we haven't read, he explains that the dresses were made from measurements, but not from actual fittings. So that's like supposed to be part part of the explanation whatever i can't believe i'm regurgitating that information and well and this is this is the thing i sort of big picture i don't know if i totally agree but i understand his broader point that his version of events has not been shared and his perspective has not been shared and that the media is has been very powerful in crafting this other narrative that does harm to him and to his family. And honestly, you know, and the clip of Megan talking about death threats in the Netflix documentary and her children being down the hall, like stays with me. And I think that's completely valid. That's all true. But then you drive down to the specifics and it's like, well, so here's how the bridesmaids dresses fit. And they kind of fit like this. And this was, and I'm like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it does kind of feel throughout this press blitz that 
all of the larger points are true. And then when you press for specifics, I'm like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So I can't confirm this because as discussed, we were not able to watch the ITV interview. However, my friend in London, Talia, told me that the ITV interview is very similar to the 60 Minutes interview and that the quotes and the language are also very similar. And so... I think that begs the question of how some of these interviews were set up and what has been decided to be the focal point because 60 minutes at the end of its half on Harry. And by the way, the second half of the episode, I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm looking forward to it because it's with Hans Zimmer, who's like, you know, obviously extremely important human. Let's just his contribution to the historical record are vast. Anyway, Anderson Cooper explains that the Buckingham Palace did not respond because 60 minutes would not give them a copy of the interview before it aired, which is like a standard journalistic practice, like good job, 60 minutes. However, the things that they did air and that we talked about, I'm like a little, I'm curious about because the main, the main topics that they cover are how Harry responded to Diana's death. And he says some really tragic and just like heartbreaking things about not believing she had died and just how difficult it was for him to process the reality of her death. And it was just incredibly sad. And that's like in the first segment. And then they move on to a second segment that is very much about Camilla mm-hmm. and in which he calls her dangerous mm-hmm. uh, and a villain and also about his relationship with Will. So there's actually, and also about how his family did not like a, basically just like left him out in the cold so he couldn't see the queen before she died. Like, they all got on a plane together and he wasn't there, which we already know. But I think it's notable that he does not really blame Charles for anything throughout this. Yes. He does not blame the queen for anything throughout this. I think, I believe his relationship with the queen was, in, in his mind, fairly pure. But he, the press and now Harry have really keyed on in on what he's saying about Camilla and what he's saying about his brother. Yeah. So Amanda, do you think that the 60 minutes editing was a result of the initial leaks? Or do you think that these are the topics that Harry would have been comfortable discussing regardless? I don't, it's like, I'm a little, it's like the way that the book leaks in Spanish first is like confusing, but the f- coverage has really followed. And you have to assume that this was recorded before the book leaked on Thursday. So I don't really know. What do you think? I do think it was recorded before the book leaked. Did you note? I be- I believe that it was filmed at San Isidro Ranch. Oh, did was you? It? I I I think that bungalow and garden, the oh, role of Anderson and and Harry, which Makes is sense. A, which is an incredibly beautiful historic hotel in yeah, it's really nice. Montecito. Yeah. JFK and um, Jackie Kennedy were married there, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've been to dinner there a couple of times. I've, nice. I've been there to lunch once. I don't know that I'll ever uh, be able to afford to stay there. Anyway, very beautiful. But you got to figure with that level of uh, production yeah. design that it was filmed before this weekend. So also Anderson Cooper was quoting from the book and he had read it. So right. He, you know, he had chose he and his producers had chosen passages for them to key in on. I suspect that passages were given to I would expect excerpts rather than the whole thing were given mm-hmm. to 60 Minutes and to ITV. And I would imagine that similar excerpts were given. That is my best guess. I, d- I don't know, honestly. I, I have read various media reports of like the frenzy over these interviews and kind of the who gets what, et cetera. But I haven't read about that. What have you learned? Just really that there was a lot of protection and privacy and, and hope that the book would not leak. 
um, mm. which I think basically did work until the the actual physical copies of the books themselves started being like shipped out right. to stores. It's like as as long it was as it was at the publishing house or at the plant, it was pretty much on lockdown. So they, I mean, relatively speaking, they kept the secrets for a while. But I would imagine that certain chapters are or certain excerpts were provided. And the and the reason that the ITV and the 60 Minutes interview were similar was because similar excerpts were provided to both. I assume mm-hmm. there was a fair amount of brokering, even in terms of what he would want to talk about. You know, I also watched half of the Good Morning America interview this morning with Michael Strahan and it was also similar, similar territory questions asked in different ways, and they elicit like a slightly different response, but the major talking points are the same. So you could take a couple of things away from that. You could take away that like those are the most memorable parts of the book and or those are the parts that Harry prepped on and that that were offered to everyone. So my instinct is probably the latter, but that's just a guess. Right. The other person who's getting a lot of heat is Kate. Yeah. Basically making sort of shattering the like nice wife image that she's cultivated over the last 10 years more than that at this point how do you feel about this focus on camilla and kate when so much of what harry and megan are doing is supposed to be protecting megan and sort of helping her you know evade the narratives about her and and i say that as a neither kate nor camilla fan but i i asked that as neither kate or camilla fan and it's obviously somewhat of a leading question yeah <laughs> i the notable thing to me is what you already pointed out is that Charles is just absent from all of mm-hmm. this and he really avoids questions. And there are rumors that the book was revised after the Queen's death. I, I, In the publication timing, I think you can read into the fact that it was originally supposed to be published sometime last year. Like, I think in the fall, it was not. The queen obviously died in September. So you got to think there's some scrambling and you wonder how much of it is because in addition to wanting to respect the queen, you also want to respect your dad who now happens to be the new king. I, I That's just total speculation. So And also it, the one likely to give you money when your brother's certainly not going to. Exactly. Great point. But it seems like pretty much everyone else catches flack in the book. So mm-hmm. to me, the Kate stuff, I do think that that is a narrative that the and not to parrot Harry here, but the press has certainly seized on before. And it's juicy, you know? I mean, I know I was yelling about the bridesmaids dresses, but certainly that's been covered a lot. And I certainly clicked on every single uh, link. And I certainly have some feelings about the telling someone that they have baby brain four weeks postpartum or whatever. So, I, you know, I have to say... That would not go over well with me, you know, no matter <laughs> how asking to to borrow lips, lip gloss also would not go over well. That's, yeah. that's a no, no. Yeah. If you, anyone, anyone told me that I had baby brain at any point, they would get a direct response from me that would probably then end up in a tabloid in like as a she was like a total bitch. And that's fine. But it just kind of seems to me that he's hates everyone. You know, yeah. like that's a, it's just it's a very all of this is very angry and in some ways, a some ways very like emotionally resonant and some ways very petty. And it's just the the 
the kind of dichotomy of like, I'm doing this to heal while just like throwing pot shots at everyone. I like, I have not yet been able to tie that up in my head personally. Uh, I don't know whether you feel differently. I I thought it was actually interesting to hear him talk about his recreational drug use of like psychedelics to help him with his depression and stuff. And so, and I I bring that up because I just feel like he's really on this, I think he's on, on a quest, you know, like I think he's really seeking like closure. I think one thing that's become really apparent to me and I think is often the case with relationships, but overlooked in tabloid and just like any written in narrative is that like relationships work because two people like fit together in a way. And I think that while Megan was, was like portrayed as like this, you know, American who's put some spell on him. It's very evident from his own telling of his life, at least at this point in it, that he was like, hoping he was like needing to find someone like Megan who would be a part of his path. And so like, you know, we talked about how much they seem like they're really in love in the documentary, excuse me, the series. And that like sort of was reinforced to me, reinforced for me. And yeah. so, I, but I also say that to, in response to your question, because like, I think that they are just really convinced that they're doing something that's like righteous and necessary and the fact that like so many people are like, but that doesn't make sense, doesn't really register. But it's it's honestly impossible to reconcile his stated desire that he hopes to have a relationship with his brother and father in the future and the way that he has made his brother look awful. And and you know, I think that like it's not even the fight before the wedding. Like if you're if they're if the point of this is to like litigate the last six years, like maybe I understand including that. But I think also like going to including the detail about how they didn't actually get along that well as kids. And like William was like, stay away from me at at Eaton, like pretend you don't know me. Obviously, that's something that like hurt Harry at a very yeah. like vulnerable and young age. And like that is more of a revisionism or more of like a a challenge to the accepted narrative of like them being thick as thieves their whole lives until Megan came along. And so, you know, it's just, I think that's like a more fucked up thing. If you're, if you're looking to defend, Will, that's like a bigger thing. It's like more of like a mess up thing to bring up in in my opinion. But like, what just doesn't make sense is that he thinks this path will bring him back to his family. Like it absolutely will not. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com.
Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. It absolutely will not. And I don't, I'm trying to figure out who told him that. One thing I've been thinking a lot about, I, it's very obvious that Harry has, and he's talked about doing therapy, as you said, and is like still very much in the process of therapy and therapy is awesome. And he is clearly someone who went through a lot and didn't have access to it and is now working through his emotions. But you, you can see like the, the work in it. And I, I once had a therapist um, who's Italian and every once in a while she, I would, you know, say something and it was usually about a relationship or something that I was working through. And she would go to me, this is a very American problem. And she was like, Americans think that you have to be completely honest or you have to work through all of this, or you have to like, you know, there just has to be this complete clean slate, like to move forward. And just like, and uh, just so you know, like uh, in the rest of the world, other people don't always think that way. And like, there are different <laughs> ways to have relationships. And I've been thinking so much about like, Harry has an American therapist and is like going through a lot of very like American type stuff in a way that I, an American, am like, I don't know how you think this is all going to add up, but he, I guess someone is like, if you just clear it all out and you work through all of it together, you know, and there's nothing left nagging at you, then you'll be okay. But I don't think that that acknowledges that relationships involve more than one person. Another great therapist once gave similar advice, and that would be Amy Aquino playing the counselor for Felicity and Ben when they had to do community (laughs) service on Felicity. Felicity was once asking her if she should tell, I think if she should tell Ben that she cheated on him and and Amy Aquino's character was like, what's the point of that? Yeah. Why? Yes. And and sometimes you just don't have to share everything. Right. And yeah, I, I agree with you that He's going through a really American process. The most American thing that I feel haunted by and probably will never get over is the image of them doing the guided meditation in the Netflix series with Megan weeping and them like deciding to film this harrowing experience they were having. And I think it's the same kind of thinking that thinks that that's like appropriate to share that thing. But the thing is, is like literally what that guided meditation is saying is I understand that I cannot control the media and I cannot control what other people think of me and I have to let it go. And all of this stuff that could bring them peace, like that's what they're going through in this, you know, meditation. And then in his interview, Harry talks again and again about how like I can't let this go. Like I need to change the media. My father told me it was a suicide mission, but I need to be able to change it. It's... It's pretty jarring and kind of sad. I 
mean, it's I agree really with you. Sad. It's sad. It's very, it's very sad. I have to say, one of the, for me, what's sad is that one of my main takeaways from this is that I think I have to read the book. I don't oh, yeah. want to. I'm gonna, I, I am. I'm going to the bookstore tomorrow morning to buy the book. Yeah, same. But the reason I feel sad is because I, when I watched the 60 Minutes interview, I was like, oh, like the, all the excerpts really are distorting the book and like I need to read the whole thing in context. Right. And I just have like a lot of other books I want to read right now. So I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> but don't you think you can file it as work time and like do it during work? I guess. I don't that's, know. That's yeah, what I was going to do. So. I was going to read it tomorrow before the Golden Globes because I got to watch the Golden Globes like in the evening, you know? That's nice. So yeah, that's I was nice. going to do some time in the morning with this book. I agree with you. And I'm, I also have a lot of other books that I would love to be reading. But to me, it is a slightly similar thing to needing to watch the interview instead of reading the, the excerpts because he wrote, co-wrote this book or this book is ghostwritten by J.R. Moringer, who's a very talented ghostwriter and nonfiction writer. He famously wrote um, Andre Agassi's autobiography, Open, which is a fantastic read if you haven't read it, and is frankly filled with a lot of anguish and spite as well, but also some incredible anecdotes about dating Brooke Shields and sending faxes. So it, it we might, resp- I, I'm completely open to the fact that I might respond differently and I might find it like more, it might make more sense, like the project might make more sense. It, could be more endearing when not like cherry picked by page six, which again is really going for it. And so now I know that Prince Harry is circumcised and that his, he had a a frostbitten penis at the marriage of William and Kate. So that's like good stuff, I guess that I'll never get out of my head, but you know, maybe in context that makes more sense to share with the world. I'm the most galled by uh, his sharing that he killed 25 Taliban. I, I mean, as am I. That, I that's absolutely. And do do you feel like that's kind of gone under examined? Certainly in the interviews. Yeah, I mean, I I think that to really wade into that would be like much much more complicated than like talking about if Camilla is a villain or not, and like right. And, and everything. Um, it's important to note the Taliban responded to that. Like they right. like you know it got has gotten a lot of attention. It is so, it's just like such a, for so many, I'm like, I'm like, which direction do I go with why I think that's a crazy thing to say? Uh, It's not even just because I'm like against war or whatever. I mean, you know, some, whatever. It's just so complicated. But to brag about killing, not brag, but to sort of like mention that you've killed people as like kind of like a, it's sort of like soldiers and people in the military. It's like assumed that like, like in combat, like there are casualties. I think to like present that as either, as evidence of really anything honestly speaks to like a level of insecurity to me, which I'm not surprised by because one of the things the monarchies try to do is like really like strip Harry of his military success and military achievements, which means so much to him. So I can understand why, like given the opportunity to like set the narrative straight, he wants to be clear about like what kind of combat he was facing and the fact that it was real, particularly in comparison to his brother who didn't really face the same kind of active combat because he was the heir, not the spare. So but I just think that is like such a awful thing to do. Like, uh, it's just really bizarre. It's very strange. And also, again, I have not yet read the book and seen it in context, but the interviews do speak about his military service in the context of something that was very healing to him after the loss of his mother. And I, I you know, I'm sure in some ways 
being a part of an institution of some kind that isn't also your family and having some sort of rhythm or whatever, it, it like is beneficial. But that those two facts going together are uh, uncomfortable, at, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, it's just the whole the whole thing is pretty. I don't know. I just can't believe we're gonna have more of this. Like the book will come out. There'll be more. Do you think the monarchy will do anything? I the firm, the, the institution, the firm, the institution. They have said they will not respond. I do not think that they should respond. I I think I, although. I wouldn't respond were I them, but I don't want that to read as an endorsement of them. I think this is a real no winners situation, if you will, just because I find some of Harry's interviews to be a little discordant doesn't mean that I'm like, think that that I'm defending William or Kate or Camilla or Charles or the media or or anyone else. Um, But I think they probably won't respond because they do seem to understand the Streisand effect to some extent. But I that's officially anyway. I mean, you know, the Sunday Times, which can kind of be read as the as the William and Kate outlet, had a piece this weekend that was about how William's devastated and blah, blah, blah. And this thing that Harry talks about of people in their offices brief the media like yeah that does happen and it's yeah. happening even now and i think it'll continue to happen you know they already leaked that harry won't be asked to participate in the coronation if he attends so none of the royal dukes will be bowing to the king which already like we're in la la land as soon as you have to say that sentence out loud yeah. again i think it's absolutely hysterical that they're going to try to stage like a coronation in the year 2023 and everyone's expected to take that seriously Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I was going to say, I think the absolute worst thing to come out of this for the for the institution and the firm, which is the same thing, is just the attention it brings to them about like this existential question of why, like to your to your point, like, why is there a coronation? Why do you have to respect Charles? Why do you have to like, you know, respect him over William? Like, what is it? What does this all mean? other than just being like a really famous family family like the Kardashians. Like, and, and, you know, that's something that the, that the Royals use against Harry and Meghan, which is to say like they're doing reality TV. They're selling, they're selling their lives. They're just like the Kardashians. But what's so different about what they're doing versus the image that the Royal family goes to, to sell through their relationship with the press? Like, you know, I, I think it's just like, there's just a big why over all of this. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but if I were paying taxes and I, my taxes were going to this royal family, I would just be pissed. Yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. I just, I don't understand in the same way that I feel that sort of Hen- Harry's thought processes were somewhat illogical. Uh, also, everything surrounding the royal family. And like, yeah, so we'll have a coronation and then he'll sit on a throne and everyone will kind of put their crowns on and there will be a ring and some oil and then he'll be like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense either. We're all grown-ups. Like, uh, let's... Yeah. All of this is so silly and doesn't add up. And did I spend, like, a large part of my weekend reading about all of it? Sure did. So am I part of the problem? Absolutely. Am I fascinated by it? Yes. But it's it makes no sense. I don't think you are part of the problem, though. We're not talking about them as celebrities. Like, that is, like, sort of separate 
from the, like the literal institution of monarchy and like why they, you know, they remain like, even if you're like, okay, we're going to like end the tax contributions that you get to like operating the infrastructure that keeps your lives going, they would still be so rich that like maybe they'd be a little bit less rich, but like most of the family would be unaffected. And also they're so connected to other parts of like old European money. Like, Oh, like a lot of what they're doing would like remain intact. So I, so like, you know, they would remain celebrities, but if like England had a new referendum, they're like, actually let's rejoin Europe, but end the monarchy. Like there'd be so little, I think like functional difference that it again is like, why? <laughs> I really don't know. I can't believe they're just doing a full coronation. It's and I so guess the reason I brought it up though, is I think that's like ultimately the biggest negative for the royal family. Bad, bad press will go, will, will fade. Yeah. They'll be fine. But the sort of like existential question, particularly when England and the United Kingdom is in political and economic crisis, is so obvious that I, I just don't know how, how it like continues, except that inertia and money and whatever. Yeah, I I was kind of struck when the queen's funeral just went on for like four days straight with all the pomp and circumstance. Now, obviously, it's the queen. She was the queen for most Britain's like entire life. She sort of grandfathered in. But everyone's just like, yeah, we'll just do this. And everyone will wait in line for 20 hours. There is some the inertia, as you said, and people just being like, well, I guess this is happening. So it's just going to roll on by before we notice and raise our hand and say, why are we doing this? I suppose that's their strategy. But I I don't know. It all seems You know what's so interesting, too? You know, I love contemporary British fiction. Like, not just like Zadie Smith, like just so many writers, like I just really love and have spent so much time reading about like, and reading their their books, David Lodge, Ishiguro, Jonathan Coe, like just so many. I don't think the monarchy ever appears in any of those books. Like it's just like it's kind of like irrelevant. Like, can you think of a Zadie Smith reference to the to the uh, royal family? Because I can't. And it's just like so irrelevant to like so much of modern British culture. It's like a it's like a totally separate vertical. It's like it's just if you were planning out coverage, they would just they would wouldn't necessarily interact and. It's just, it's just really interesting. I actually have never really had that thought about that before, which is also weird because I, for like years, exclusively read British contemporary fiction. Right. So, and I just read all these, I've just recently read a lot of books about Ireland that were like, I read uh, Nora Webster by Colin Toybean, which is set in the late sixties and early seventies when there's a lot of strife between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Many people have watched Dairy Girls. Even those political situations are completely separated from the royal family, unless you watch The Crown and you like have no context for like where the right. queen was when the IRA, you know, was a real threat. No, it's true. It, you know, it was pointed out that Harry does live in the U.S. now, but he did as much press here in the U.S. as he did in the U.K. It is an American publishing house that is publishing Spare. I So the royals sell here to us to yeah. you at the US as much as if not more than the UK. I mean it's you know there's like a different sense of uh, identity and and cultural relationship but in some ways it's like an export business yeah. that that they do and I and I do think that they make a lot of money off of it but you're right that it's increasingly irrelevant to the British understanding of itself in 2023. Yeah. I mean I think the 
the World Cup team is much more representative of modern Britain than right. royal family. Yeah. I was rooting for England. I have, I have a crush on Harry Maguire now, though I think okay. if I really dug into it, I wouldn't. Okay. But he's hot on the on the pitch. Can we revisit a question that you texted me this sure. week? And that and that we brought up at the beginning of the podcast. But what is Harry doing it for at this point? Like l- like literally why? What what's going on? I think I think it's a combination of vengeance and his process of finding inner peace, which uh, I think seems to come to, from external forces for him, which is a problem. So I hope his journey is can account for that. But I think it's a combination of vengeance and like this self perspective he's gained through what he's been what he's been piecing together over the last few years. What do you think? I think that it is a combination of personal vengeance and and money. Though I think. He, He's not being honest or genuine, but I think he's probably right when he says, like, I'm not. In his mind, he is not thinking actively, well, I got to do this because then I have to, like, pay for the security or, you know, pay for whatever. I I think that he wakes up in the morning and goes to do these interviews because he is on this personal process that you mentioned. But I don't know how else they make money or do things yeah. in the world anymore. Like, I I don't know what the next step is for, for either of them. I, you've said speaking tours and I think that's right, but I, I think their speaking tours would be on some variation of what they're talking about now. Like, I, I don't know how they build a life and a business outside of, their experience so and and outside of uh, the royal family at this point because it's tied so closely so i guess this is just kind of his family business now i'm not really sure what to say and that is equally depressing i think they would need to create a new like brand like almost like the second act of gwyneth paltrow as like an entrepreneur right it's kind of like what I think they need to need to do. However, that really underestimates the amount of work and smarts that went into how Gwyneth Paltrow and people like other actresses like Kate Hudson as well, like how they navigated their careers to find other businesses and occasionally acted. I mean, it was like, by the way, very fun to see Kate Hudson in Glass Onion. She was great. And I think I also feel that way because I can't remember the last time I saw a Kate Hudson acting performance. So I was like, oh, cool. I, I'm happy right. to not be discussing Fabletics, but delighted to see you in, in uh, Glass Onion. But I just think that based on what we've seen for the last few years, I don't know that they're on on the trajectory to find their goop or to find their, right, you know, to, to whatever. think outside this particular yeah. avenue of, yeah. Because also with someone like what Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Hudson, and those are the two that come to mind, but there are many other people in Hollywood who've used like the, their connections and their access to money to create like these other businesses. But they also sort of like took a step back and like receded to do those things. Like Gwyneth Paltrow, her, uh, her, like the Gwyneth Paltrow voice became something that was written that you read through the newsletter and introduced conscious uncoupling and unabashedly like explored her vagina and like sort of did those things unselfconsciously and while also having a kind of like lower profile in many ways. And it's hard to imagine that being a part of Harry and Meghan's plan. I just want to note, and I am a huge Gwyneth Paltrow fan 
still think Goop has the best travel recommendations that you can find. Over the break, Gwyneth Paltrow just did some spawn con for like a posture corrector, like something <laughs> not dissimilar to the weird like gadgets that used to be served to you on like late night infomercials and now show up in your Instagram or sharper feed. image. Yeah. 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 But it was like, it was on Gwyneth and it was like labeled paid pot sponsorship. And it was just something about like a wearable posture corrector. And I was like, does Gwyneth Paltrow have money problems? Like, you know, <laughs> which as you say is my response to everything now, but I, I did have some questions about how lucrative that, that new voice and world is. If she's just doing, posture corrector infomercials. Is it possible she lost a lot of money in the crypto crash? I don't know. I kind of felt like all the celebrities were protected. It's just asking questions. I, I thought mean, so too, but I don't we, know. We, we don't know any. We don't, we don't know. So that that's something good to ask. But um, I guess that's just my way of saying maybe even that isn't as lucrative as we think. Right, right, right. But I don't know where they go from here. That's why it's one of the reasons why it's so sad. Do you think that they actively want to bring down the monarchy? This is something that friends of mine asked me this weekend. And I was like, I don't know what the answer is, but I will ask Juliet on on our podcast. I do not think that for many reasons, including the continued existence of the monarchy still continues to benefit them. And also, I just think that, well, and I think it was Anderson with Anderson Cooper. It might have been Tom Bradby. Someone asked, like, do you want to bring down the monarchy? And he has a very quick no. I think that's probably because they rehearsed that question, not because he so deeply feels it. But right. nevertheless, I'm not sure that I, and I, this isn't to sound like really shady, but I don't mean it to be. I'm not sure that Harry like has enough creativity in his mind and his like view of the world to like think about a, a post monarchy Britain or a post monarchy life. You know, I agree with you. I, he's also asked at one point, I believe on the 60 minutes interview, if they'll ever give up their titles and he's yes, immediately and he like, no. no, what would the point be? But, and I can think of a couple points, Harry, including sure. like a, you know, a symbolic break and a and a decision that this is not something that you think benefits you or or anyone else. But he answers that question the same way with like a very quick, what would the point be that to me reads as a little impatient. And he does have this habit in certain interviews where when he doesn't like a question or when it gets a little bit closer than what he wants it to be, it's a very quick, like, absolutely not. It doesn't always play well for me personally. We've seen that before. It yeah. happened when they were on tour and someone asked him something. He gets very annoyed and he like, yeah. And he just like shuts it down, which I understand is the equivalent of like going to your room and closing the door. But you I, can't do that when you've put yourself in this position. Yeah, exactly. I, like, ah, I, I don't know whether that's the, the approach I would take. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're so, going to read the book. We're going to read the book. I guess we'll discuss that next week. And I hope we have some celebrity gossip to discuss. I actually was like, oh, is there anything else for us to hit? But uh, there's actually not that much happening. Yeah. Everybody took a vacation. Golden Globes, though. Amanda will report back. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Tuesday night, baby. <laughs> Thanks to our producer, Jade Whaley. We will be back next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong. But these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.